0: Section 5 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 9, October 1898. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hawaii in April 2021. The Geospheres, Part 2 by W. J. McGee consideration of the profound modification in the exterior geospheres necessarily following changes in temperature which can only be considered as slight in comparison with the wide temperature range even of our solar system aids us in understanding something of the conditions which attended the early stages in the development of our planet the earth as a whole is apparently a cooling body though the rate of cooling may be indeed must be almost infinitesimally slow so the planet primeval must have been warmer a greater part of its water must have been afloat as vapour in the atmosphere which must have been heavy with vapours and the fumes of solids soluble in hot water in like manner the changes necessarily produced in the geospheres by diminished temperature enable us to take a long look into the future and foresee the fate which awaits the aging planet unless indeed this fate may be averted by aid of human ingenuity there are many indications that the mechanism of the solar system and indeed of the stellar system is running down we know that the water of the earth is going into new combinations from time to time as a constituent of the rocks of the lithosphere we know that the water area of the globe is diminishing from age to age as the eons run for the clastic deposits with which geologists are most concerned were laid down in water while those now forming are largely if not mainly accumulated on land there are deserts on every continent today, while the record of geology indicates that during the carboniferous and earlier ages all the lands of the earth were fertile and humid and just as the hydrosphere is going into the lithosphere by chemic absorption as well as by interpenetration so the commingled oxygen and nitrogen of the atmosphere are slowly separating and combining with the substances of the lithosphere and probably also with the substance of the hydrosphere the changes yield a glimpse of planetary history they suggest a time when the now deep-buried centrosphere was enveloped only by heavy atmosphere with no lithosphere save possibly its own scums and slags and no hydrosphere save possibly viscid lakes of its own substance half liquefied by relief from pressure like the lavas of later time they raise visions of slowly segregating waters and accumulating rocks formed through interaction between the condensing atmosphere and the cooling centrosphere they indicate the differentiation of the geospheres in nice adjustment to temperature and other conditions the changes indeed give a threat of ultimate absorption of air and water into the rocks leaving a dead planet of centrosphere and lithosphere only swinging helpless through space like our frozen moon yet there is a faint promise in a fifth geosphere produced through delicate interaction among the three exterior spheres of the earth lying about the common boundary of the three dependent on all yet able at least in some measure to control their relations a psychosphere comprehending the scanty but potent and ever-growing mantle of thought which to-day envelops the world just a few words more if you please concerning the general relations among the geospheres the atmosphere is a body of gas conditioned primarily by temperature the hydrosphere is a volume of liquid conditioned by temperature and gravity The lithosphere is a shell of rock, conditioned by temperature, gravity, and a more complex chemic affinity than is found in the mixture air or the compound water. The centrosphere is a trans-solid and probably metalloid body, conditioned in ways that are not well known. The several geospheres combine to form a planet conditioned by temperature, gravity, chemic affinity and perhaps other agencies, which extend to other planets and satellites and suns of the cosmos. So the features of the geospheres, that is, the characteristics of our planet, are largely determined from within. Yet it is not to be forgotten that each geosphere contributes to the making of the others, and thus to the moulding of the planet, and in some measure to the shaping of the cosmos this has already been indicated incidentally let us now proceed to consider a few of the special relations among the geospheres which affect cosmic economy we have good reason for supposing that the earth is a cooling body that some of its primeval heat is constantly passing into space to affect howsoever infinitesimally other bodies But do we know why the temperature of the earth is not lowered more rapidly why the lowering is so slow as not to be detectable by the observations of history we know that if the earth were simply a ball swinging through interstellar space and cooling by the radiation of its heat into space it would soon be refrigerated we know too that in this case the temperature of its surface would be determined solely by two factors, That is, 1. the temperature of the ball itself, and 2. the temperature of interstellar space. Now on examining our planet as an actual thing, and not as a figment of the imagination, we do not find that the temperature of its surface is determined, or even perceptibly affected, by its own proper heat we do find that the temperature of the external earth is determined by the heat received from the sun it follows of course that the earth is not merely a cooling bowl suspended in cold space on examining more critically the conditions determining our temperature we find there are two that is one insulation or accession of solar heat and two Conservation of a considerable part of this heat for a time by a terrestrial mechanism. This mechanism resides chiefly in interrelations among the exterior geospheres. The most important conservative agency is the aqueous vapor of the air, which not only stores quantities of heat to be given off on condensation, but serves to check radiation from the earth into space. When the sun shines on the ocean, a film of water is evaporated to be borne high in the clouds and carried far over the mainland. When it is condensed, a part of its heat is employed in raising the temperature of surrounding air, water, and rock, so that water, chiefly in the form of vapor, stores heat more effectively than any other substance with which we are acquainted. Still more efficient is aqueous vapor as a blanket checking evaporation. Dry air is diathermous, but vapor-laden air checks radiation from the earth as a garment checks radiation from the body. Since there is no part of the earth, even on the deserts and polar ice-fields, in which there is not an appreciable quantity of aqueous vapor in the air, this substance forms a clothing for the earth determining its temperature, rendering it habitable, and making it what it is today, the stage of human activity. There is another class of special relations between the geospheres which I should like to bring before you, partly as a new discovery. As before pointed out, the rocks of the earth-crust or lithosphere are permeated by water in the form known technically as groundwater, or phreatic water. Now, one of our most distinguished geologists, Professor Van Heys of the University of Wisconsin, has recently shown that this groundwater plays an important role in changing the texture and structure of rocks, especially at depths where the pressure is great and the temperature higher than at the surface. It is a well-known property of water to dissolve certain substances, and its efficiency in dissolving many rock substances is greatly increased when the substances are subjected to pressure and heat, and, under these conditions, it also ionizes complex substances, that is, separates them into their simple components or ions. Accordingly, when moist rocks are subjected to strong pressure at high temperature, as is frequently the case deep in the earth crust, the rock matter is dissolved at the points and planes of greatest pressure and precipitated or redeposited at neighboring points and planes of less pressure, so that, for example, a crystalline cube of wet and hot rock matter may be permanently distorted by long-continued pressure on opposite faces the crystals gradually yielding to the stress in the direction of pressure and elongating themselves in the orthogonal directions through its property as a dissolving and ionizing agent that portion of the hydrosphere which penetrates and suffuses the lithosphere has determined the texture and structure of most of our rocks it has transformed the muds and sands and slimes of original deposition into shales, sandstones and limestones. In some instances it has reconverted or metamorphosed these rocks into schists, quartzites and marbles. Still more significantly, it has aided in remetamorphosing deep-seated rocks into lavas and other crystallines this extreme effect of water is peculiarly instructive in that it reveals something of the character of the centrosphere whose dense materials are brought within reach of observation only by water as a solvent and supplement in the form of lavas vein stones, and other rocks of hypogean origin there is reason for regarding the atmosphere as a differentiating and dissipating factor and the hydrosphere as a unifying and conserving factor, both interacting with the centrosphere in such manner as to develop the lithosphere and convert it into the terrestrial home of humanity, but this relation need not be pursued for the present. Yet it is worth while to note a curious relation between lithosphere and centrosphere which is apparently controlled by the waters both of the surface and the depths two inner geospheres are in unstable equilibrium this is shown by the occasional escape of the deep-seated materials from the foundation of the lithosphere if not from the centrosphere itself in the form of extruded lavas and sublimated vein-stones it is shown also by the interminable heaving of the centrosphere manifested in continental oscillation and to some extent in the uplifting of mountains. It is indicated further, in still more interesting, though obscure fashion, by the apparent reduction of loose textured solids to the denser trans condition in provinces subject to loading through deposition of exceptional volumes of sediment. For example, the Gulf of Mexico, the world's most notable province of loading, whose configuration suggests a hypogean slump which may be imitated experimentally by pouring a few drops of heavier and cooler liquid into a viscid liquid at the critical or boiling point but this most interesting relation may also be passed over for the present with the simple suggestion made by many phenomena that the solid lithosphere and transsolid centrosphere appear to be interconvertible at a critical point of temperature and pressure, much as the atmosphere and hydrosphere may be considered interconvertible in state and in substance on passing a critical point conditioned by the same factors, and that the hypothesis of interconvertibility explains some of the most puzzling facts in geology. There are other interrelations between the geospheres, interrelations innumerable. Time will not permit me to mention a tithe, or even a hundredth part of them. Yet there is one more relation which appeals strongly to those geographers who, like myself, always see the lands and the waters from the human standpoint. and I beg your indulgence for the three minutes required to set it forth briefly my predecessor dr redway has admirably defined for you the natural provinces of america and shown you that the features of the land formed during the ages by the work of running waters shape the character of our people i trust he will permit me to add a word to this theme as well as to that of the thinker for whom i am speaking in what we call the western hemisphere the land and the waters are so related as to form a broad continent the north american continent mainly in the north temperate zone during the ages the centrosphere has heaved and sunk according to its want and has interacted with the atmosphere and hydrosphere in such manner as to produce a lithosphere of far-reaching formations crumpled here into mountains stretching there in broad plains modified everywhere at the surface into fertile soils charged often at the depths with mineral treasures the whole a rich patrimony wasted on unintelligent aborigines until men of thought and action came to claim it then since the lands were broad and fertile agriculture spread more rapidly than ever before more rapidly than would be possible under other conditions. Next, the magnificent distances and rich produce compelled improved transportation facilities, and steam was harnessed more effectively than would be possible under other conditions. Meantime the broad problems presented by a broad land widened the views of men already inspired by political freedom, and America became a nation of inventors, a people of applied science. Geography was studied more broadly than would be possible in a petty province, it grew into a science of geology, inspired by the breadth of the formations and their wealth in resources, guided by intelligence broad as the land, and today the geologists of this country lead the world in their science. The sister sciences were invigorated by the association. I have said that the solar system has been weighed and measured with unparalleled accuracy during recent years, and may now add that the work was done by American genius, and that today the shipping of the civilized world is guided by nautical almanacs based on this American work. Another science regenerated in America by reason of favorable conditions is anthropology. We have had better opportunities than the students of other countries for research concerning mankind. We have in Washington and in other cities representatives from every important country on the face of the earth, representatives of every living race, of every blood in human veins. Then we have a wider range of culture constantly before us than any other nation, A range running from savage aborigines through barbaric tribes, up to the representatives of the kingdoms and empires from other countries, and finally to our own enlightened people, standing on the highest plane which mankind has ever attained, the plane on which social organization is based on intellectual freedom. We have every stage in human culture before us, and hence have been able to develop a broader and profounder science of anthropology than the world has seen before. Especially during the last half-century our country has sprung forward in the race for intellectual attainment, surpassing all other nations, and our application of scientific principles has kept pace with our development of knowledge today if english promoters in egypt want locomotives furnished on short notice they send to america knowing that despite the doubling in distance the order can be filled more quickly than at home today if a bridge is to be built more rapidly than the engineers of other countries can do it american engineers are called to the task our progress in application has combined with our progress in knowledge to strengthen individual character, to produce a free and forceful individuality greater than other countries know, an individuality splendidly expressed in the faces before me. This exalted individuality is displayed in more perfect coordination of thought, in more complete union of hand and brain than the world has ever seen before. It is revealed in moral uprightness and strength of character, in personal courage, even in that splendid marksmanship, the highest expression of coordination between mind and muscle, which is America's latest revelation to the world. The individual character of Americans gives national character to America. Our patriotism, the spontaneous product of free minds, is broader and deeper than any sentiment brought out by royal edict no other country could match the recent impulse which prompted the millionaire clubman of new york and the rowing cowboy of arizona to stand shoulder to shoulder in a war for humanity's sake it is the unequalled individuality of the free citizen united and controlled by a dominant idea that forms the basis of our indomitable social organization a social organization faintly expressed by that coordination in army and navy which overwhelms opposition complete as is our coordination in military matters it is much more perfect in civil life in that unceasing conquest over nature toward which our deepest thoughts are bent and our seventy million individuals each a tower of individual strength are kept in touch by telegraph and telephone and press united in thought and purpose knit into the strongest social and political fabric the world has seen it is this social fabric the expression of thought and purpose which i have in mind in referring to the psychosphere most delicate yet noblest of the geospheres which seems to be enveloping our planet and commencing the control of the rock-sphere the water-sphere and even the air-sphere for the good of humanity and it is this conquest of the powers and resources of the exterior spheres inspired by intellectual freedom and guided by liberal education like that which you dispense that has placed America in the foremost rank among the nations of the earth. End of section five.